A smattering of texts punctuates the ground. Torn sheets of paper and molding parchment develop into larger bound documents and books, all waterlogged and faded from their open exposure to the elements. The content of the text appear to vary, ranging from the arcane and occult, to handwritten letters, travel journals, instruction manuals, and paperback novels. Spilling forth from a cave's mouth, the texts are presented like the gnarled teeth of a protruding and skeletal lower jaw. Entering the cave, its stony floor is made slick by a pulpy mash of prose. The pen and voice of disparate authors muffle together under the weight of past footfall. Further inwards, it begins to grow dark. The black stain of smoke cover the ceiling and walls. On the floor, a path is framed again by works on paper leading deeper into the cavern. So where do you want to, where would you like to start? Would you like to start with just the title then? I mean, I think the phrase, a crypt of living timbre, is a really interesting phrase and it's kind of a good place to start because yeah. actually even that requires a bit of thought. So I'd, I guess like I'd had, I've been working on like an idea of this story for a long, for, for a while and it kind of had these different, these different elements of like undead and, and things like that. And I'd actually been working um, on running like a D and D campaign for my brothers, and I've kind of been playing a bit of Which that. Which is Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, that's that's Correct. that's what it's short for. Um, um, and the name kind of came up because of like you know describing a kind of. I was like trying to come up with the name of 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 like a place or something like that, and. I always wanted there to be this kind of dichotomy um, in relationship to the kind of undead, or like one of the things about the undead is that you can never really tell if it's if it's alive or if it's if it's dead. There's always this kind of like hanging question of of oh, are, are we still safe? Are we safe yet? Or is this something that's going to kind of jump up and bite us in the ass? Um, and there's like different ways in which. Um, people that are playing the game or what have you that kind of, or even within fiction that kind of like uh, try to, to kind of turn test the environment to, uh, to see if it's sentient or to see if it's, you know, an undead. Um, so there was always this kind of relationship between something being possibly living and possibly dead. Um, and for a while I was, there was like there's something of the kind of materiality of of something that it had like an essence of of maybe living, but there was other qualities of it that was maybe dead. So I, the name a crypt of living timbre kind of came from trying to describe something that kind of operated between these two kind of positions. So that was a lot of I guess like I think of where that kind of came from, and I was like for a long time was just kind of using it as a placeholder kind of name for this kind of uh, really patched together um, kind of D&D module that I was kind of working on for um, some of my friends and, and, and family. Um, and I guess like that as a kind of that module or that kind of campaign that I was kind of thinking about a lot was actually also like it was an exercise for kind of creative writing for this project as well. I kind of knew that those things were kind of happening in tandem um, and that interest didn't exist just for the purpose of like making an art exhibition. So it kind of, I've, I've kind of sat with it for a particular, for a long period of time, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily think that it was, um, it was confusing. Cause I guess like at a certain point it had its own kind of like, it just sounds like fantasy ish, or it sounds like, it sounds like elusive or mysterious in a kind of way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say that like. I, un I understood implicitly what it meant before I literally understood it. It yeah, was the literal yeah. understanding yeah. that takes a little bit of time, especially because in the sort of the definition you included with the show, oh, yeah, the, yeah, interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. the thing I found interesting, really interesting about it is that it, it describes sort of two opposing things yeah, in the yeah, sense that it yeah. describes a presence of life or liveliness in something that otherwise appears dead yeah. or a presence of death or decay in something that otherwise appears living. Yeah. And that sort of like slipperiness I thought was really yeah, yeah. kind of great because that's sort of in the, in the way the phrase sounds, it has that kind of like, mm -hmm. um, 
yeah mysterious quality yeah i mean i actually just like you asking me about the title i totally forgot that i for the exhibition text i wrote that definition for this this kind of you know the title of this kind of phrase the archival sort of nature of digital formats in in general like be they oh yeah user interfaces or Mm -hmm, whatever mm -hmm, i mm -hmm. guess one of the things that with um with the shogi Mm -hmm. the kind of pieces moving in the shogi game yeah is like that was something that was kind of a lived thing yeah and it's still kind of yeah, it's it was like loyal re- to the yeah, lived yeah. thing, but it's not re- really yeah, the lived it's, thing. It's reanimated or re-rendered for like to have like a different kind of life. Um, yeah, there's there's like a something something that kind of exists in this in this way. You know, like this this title, this kind of image, or this relationship between things. Um, you know, the kind of digital working environments or digital interfaces, digital media has, you know, a really, really good examples of these types of things where there's this kind of, um, this kind of slippery presence of, of something else, of, mm. of the liveliness of a thing. Um, there is, I guess there was like something interesting, um, about the translation of, of this game. Cause I guess like Shogi as a game has existed for a very long time. Um, and then with, um, you know the advent of the of the internet and things you know made it so much easier for people to kind of play with each other there's these kind of like dojos kind of online for people to to play and to get against each other and to kind of get better and whatnot there's these um these networks of people kind of mm-hmm. playing playing against each other and it's kind of interesting how the game kind of went from this really kind of uh, you know simple form of of tiles on a wooden slab and then how it's translated online and there's certain things that they kind of emulate um that i found like really interesting about it because like there's so much of the game or like one of one aspect of the game that i found like really interesting that was really uh, appealing to me was the kind of tactile quality of of how you kind of play the pieces and the kind of the sound that they make when they clack against the board so I, I really liked that as like the necessity to have a kind of more like to know when your opponent has made a move um, that it's kind of re- reused this uh, this thing that existed just in the way that the game was played. This really tactile kind of like clacking. I mean, I mean, there is also like the way in which people play it as well, like the way that they hold the piece and stuff like that. It seems to like uh, bring a little bit of that kind of tradition or that kind of play style into the mm-hmm. thing, into mm-hmm. this synthesized version of the game. Which sort of becomes a bit weird, I suppose, because you can't really like. Yeah, you don't see the player playing the piece, and also like the different ways of of sliding it, of clacking it on top of the other opponent's piece. There's loads of like aspects of how you how you play it, or the styling of how you land a piece that is kind of gone out of that. But the way that it it kind of still has to exist, it's it kind of like is a weird like tipping of the hat. I guess this is like this thing of um, it's supposed to be to to do with like you as a person and how you kind of present yourself or play the piece or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But then it kind of gets turned into this thing that's like you have five set ways of like putting down a piece or yeah, moving yeah, it yeah. forward and it sort of becomes a bit, you sort of end up, I don't know, it's kind of interesting how you end up kind of being a bit of a like sort of shonky automaton. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, it like it removes some of the, the kind of mind games, I guess, that you can play. Um within like within someone playing face to face but or i don't know i wonder if it like does it perhaps add like everyone has another layer to that everyone has like the extreme poker face like you have no idea what your opponent is doing when you're when you're playing uh, online unless you've got like you know a a visual or Mm. audible Mm. kind of uh yeah i guess i was wondering if maybe the because of that because of your awareness that somewhere at the other end there is a a sentient person mm-hmm. making making those same assumptions as yeah. you are, you yeah. kind of start to second guess the interface a little bit as well, or try and read the interface yeah. as if it's a person yeah. on top of the person who's playing at the other yeah. end. I guess can we sort of tie that back into the th- the idea of like something being undead um yeah well i guess the um there was there were like other aspects to the game um with like pieces coming back and things like that this was a very like literal kind of like um 
relationship to like the pieces never kind of going away and they're kind of like uh, this kind of like ghost presence within the kind of match um but and then there was like um i'm just i'm trying to there was a, you know I, most of the time when i'm kind of making things um there's like you know kind of like intuitive reasons uh, yeah, yeah, why totally. why kind of things work their way in and then you can kind of retro retroactively kind of be like oh well you know this kind of makes sense with that and this kind of makes sense for this reason or another and i'm just trying to i guess reformulate what what were my justifications again for for using this kind of thing because at some point there was a, there was a lot of just like um you know the the relationship between a kind of synthesized like activity or action within within the game um of something that wasn't kind of present mm-hmm. um reformulating a new presence by it being kind of re-rendered and i liked the idea of like the you know the the interface of of these games um you know they're not you know you may watch them in video format uh, you know in the exhibition it was a video format and the um if you were to watch these things on youtube they would mostly mostly be um in video but the there's just like you know a line of code that will say this piece goes here this piece mm-hmm. goes here and things like that mm-hmm. so like each uh formulation of the game is actually like a re it's a live re-rendering of mm-hmm. of the kind of of the game itself mm-hmm. and in that moment it is a kind of like um it's a thing that's kind of that's that's living within like your your experience of it um i started i started getting into a lot of um other forms of gaming and there's uh, one particular game that all of the kind of replays that it that that they uh, that they have online are all like re-renderings of the entire of the entire game and they're not videos which be, only because it's like a smaller file size for them to for them to just have the code of like what all the decisions were within the game mm. um and then it's kind of like reprocessed, or it's re-rendered for the person to kind of upload it into their game, so they can they can watch it. Um, but it's uh, it's quite interesting because there's sometimes glitches in the game where a, a line of code will be misassigned, and then the game kind of turns out differently. Or there's like um, units within the game that just don't do anything at a certain point, and then somebody else wins. Which is I just find completely fascinating to to you know that if the person playing the game had missed like had not done this one thing and everything else kind of played out, the outcome could have been entirely differently. Mm. I, I just find that infinitely fascinating. I guess. Yeah, um, I guess. So uh, yeah, I suppose I suppose that kind of brings it back to this, the kind of like environment that yeah the kind of desktop environment that you inhabit and i suppose this was like maybe maybe this is like the similarity where the kind of photoshopping of the models within the video comes in as Mm -hmm. well is that you kind of have this implication of like a hand somewhere yeah yeah conducting something and then you also have i suppose this implication of like there's some kind of like larger logic going on yeah i mean with all yeah i mean with with I think there's like there's a you know a long history within within painting that kind of like moved into kind of you know that moved into the ready-made um, about the kind of like the idea of the the brushstroke or the the hand of the artist um, that I think is um, you know that finds its way into like any kind of design you know the, the kind of subjectivity of of an object and how it's been kind of tooled to operate for particular purposes or to meet a certain type of audience or requirements for whatever its needs, um, you have that kind of assumption of the, the kind of person behind it that's kind of puppeting the, the object to, to perform a certain thing. And I think this is one of the ideas why I was so interested in this relationship between like uh, the inner, like online interfaces, and this idea of like the user and um, fr- like develop front end development and things like that, or development for for interfacing with like a person. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, so there was this, but within like you know this like digital environment, it's easy. It's you know it's harder to see the the kind of person behind the kind of brushstroke maybe i i mean i don't i think that there's there's another one of these like dichotomies between 
the, the kind of absence and presence of the kind of person. And I think that within like design objects, I was thinking about it in, in like very similarly to this, this idea of authorial silence within, within literature, where an author uh, decides to omit the presence of their, their own voice uh, to kind of, you know, they take on, the pre they take on uh, another person's voice within like the voice of, of um, the, the kind of first person narrator mm -hmm. um, or something. And, um, you know, it's, it's this thing where I, I started thinking that it's, you know, it's, it's actually, it's not, it's not real. It's like a, it's one of these like fantasy kind of things within the kind of medium, um, that it's actually, you know, impossible for the narrator or the person making to actually kind of fully disappear. It's actually more of in the position of the, the person reading it or the person consuming the product or doing like being the kind of person interfacing with something they're the ones that um have the power to kind of witness or notice the maker or the the subjectivity of the object willfully that's, ignore it yeah or will willfully uh, ignore it yeah um so I, I think like the digital environment of like the digital paintings and things like that there was there was always an interest within that because there was like um you know digital painting has this you know this uh i think a lot of its uses is to kind of like hide uh the presence of the brush stroke mm. it's like to to kind of uh airbrush you know in glamour photos or something like that to airbrush things away and to make things less visible to uh um but it's like another kind of styling that just ends up calling it can like call attention to itself um but you know the these kind of like speed paintings are just like it's kind of, it, it kind of feels like magic at times when you see somebody kind of like constructing something or knowing how to to kind of do it because it's um you see the you see it just kind of like happening yeah yeah um, yeah where you you don't see you know the paint or the rendering or the brush or things like that it just kind of like it just slowly kind of becomes Develops. that yeah yeah i um, guess what was really interesting about or to me about it, like Photoshop and things like that is not something is something that I'm very familiar with. Like mm -hmm. it's yeah, yeah. Kind of what I do in my work and it's a lot of what I do with my job. Mm -hmm. But even so, like watching that, you know, it's so easy for your brain to just look at if you imagine the finished photo where one of the characters has this like kind of ridiculous sort of mm -hmm. paint or yeah, yeah. I would happily just look at that photo and be like, yeah, hey, she's got a, that happened like all in the shoot. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I would just accept that. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. even bother the... sort of really thinking about it. But like, I guess what was quite unnerving about about watching those speed paintings is that is that you you just feel like a bit of a mug because <laughs> you, you kind of get you kind of realize how taken in you get by the kind of implied fidelity yeah. of, of digital images. Yeah, there is, uh, I mean, are you talking about like how it is, like how satisfying it is to actually just watch? It is the, really satisfying, yeah, yeah. but it's also you realize that that there's a kind of, um, how easy it is to sort of doctor images. Oh yeah, to be and, tricked as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. okay, yeah, I wasn't sure if you Because you sort of see the process of being fooled yeah, unfolding yeah, yeah. <laughs> in front of you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, it's crazy how they're like, how many images are, um, are just like, um, our digital compositions or like re-renderings of, of like an entire synth synthesized environment. And, um, and it's just, you know, it's because like, you know, our eyes are, uh, limited, uh, tools for, for apprehending things. And once you kind of like can kind of understand how you know light works and and things like that then you start implement implementing those those tools and you can construct an image that looks like you know that exactly yeah, it's like oh that's how light works so yeah. i'm i'm convinced that this figure is standing so far away there's so many tools of like you know and of getting it wrong i think is is amazing as well as like you know because i think there's you know mistakes within the video where you can kind of you feel the contrast between um it not being right or like I make a, you know, a, do a contour line uh, that's off and it kind of like the paint kind of feels like it's sticking off of the object and yeah, I yeah. erase it and then put it back on. Um, yeah. It's uh it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting 
thing to see an image that has that uncanniness of of not quite being right um where the the kind of superimposed uh object doesn't have the same kind of horizon line as the the image that it's kind of transposed onto or something that it just kind of like it doesn't it does it doesn't quite fit in there even though it's on the same kind of pictorial plane um yeah. I think I think the part of part of that is why I actually was really interested in the in the cinemagraphs that actually exist in in the in the video as well, because it's this uh, this image that um, a small portion of the of the image has been masked or a small portion of a video has been uh, masked, uh, or a majority of the video yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, like so you've got a video and most of it is masked except for a small area of movement mm -hmm. so you get this uh, slightly uncanny sense of the the image moving where everything else kind of stands stands mm -hmm. still um and you have that kind of that similar kind of like maybe feeling of uncertainty towards that that image mm -hmm. i guess there's kind of a lot of ways you can go with this but I suppose maybe we could, perhaps we could sort of extend extend this out where you're, you were maybe talking about kind of the weirdness of of seeing the like the strangeness of of when these images aren't quite right or when you sort of like see just a tiny little bit of evidence of like mm -hmm. something being a construction or. Mm -hmm. a, I think a trick is a bit a bit too harsh, yeah. but it kind of is. The end result is that it tricks you, and I suppose one of the things I was sort of thinking about when I was watching the video was the fact that when when your whole your whole context for your life is like, or like a large proportion of the context that you you live your life in is made up of that of those kind of tricks and mm -hmm. um constructions and things like that like how, how you sort of really like um properly I or identify them or understand yeah understand them yeah i i, I oftentimes like you know uh it's, I find it difficult to, to talk about talk about the work um, for a number of different reasons, but oftentimes because of this kind of slipperiness of the the kind of the kind of the fiction that's kind of at play within the work, but then also you know the uh, what I think the work tries to address um, um, or kind of make use of or poke poke fun at to to play with is that you know there's there's all of these kind of fictions or these kind of slippery kind of dichotomies between things of of things kind of being like um you know you know the you know everything has the on a certain level like you know language is just a series of signs that we're kind of using to kind of mean particular things but it doesn't necessarily have to be the case mm -hmm, and then we've mm -hmm. convinced ourselves to believe in a certain amount of illusion mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. that exists within that for us to kind of like all agree which keep moving forward. I can read that sentence just just from that title of that exhibition. I totally get it. Um, 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 that a lot. I think there's there's a lot of those types of kind of facade. Of the, you know, the facade of of reality has a lot of that kind of relationship to. Like once you kind of like start, you know, getting into the semantics of something, it's it's easy for something to kind of start to fall apart mm -hmm. or to start to have that kind of uncanny relationship to. Um, to something once you kind of look at it closely enough. Um, so what's the use of looking at it closely then? Because that's kind of what you're doing, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of the video, um, you know, a lot of the video, a lot of the work kind of comes from, I don't know, I guess like making decisions that I felt like were like kind of uh, like concessions towards certain... Um, certain experiences or certain um qualities of of things so uh, enjoying you know certain aspects of of you know the tactility of of this in contrast to like the the emptiness or uh the kind of spaciousness spaciousness of it not kind of it not being there um i guess within the experience of yeah looking at something closely 
is that there's a certain amount of of you can see the game that you're kind of implicated in, I guess, or that your that your implication within it is kind of more of a choice, um, or within like the kind of experience of a particular interface. You know, seeing yourself as a user within it, then you all all you have right. You see yourself as all of a sudden having rights within that. That um, you have a choice to um, to to have it meet different needs or something. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of the work. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm just asking a hard yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. So it is. I mean, um, it's. I guess. So I guess, like looking at this. Um, when you say you you kind of realize you, the the game you're sort of implicated in, yeah, I think it's that, or I guess there's that um, sort of feeling. There's that thing of realizing that you've kind of you've opted into a sort of system of like semantics or representation or something that is is sort of necessary for you to be able to do some things, whether that's like communicate or play computer games or use software or whatever, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you kind of, you kind of have to sign that sort of implicit contract. But then I guess there's a lot of other things that you kind of don't really see that come, come along with that, mm -hmm. that kind of like opting in yeah. to, to mm -hmm. that thing. And, and I think um, more often than not, you're, encouraged to not really worry about that too much but i think there's a there are a lot of good reasons to worry about and and b there's i think there's a lot of fun to be had in fucking about with the remit of of those kind of um systems you opt into yeah i think yeah being um, being aware of the of the systems that you're kind of being opted into, because you know, I, I guess it was like this article also that you were kind of that you had sent me. I can't I can't remember uh, the specifics of who had written it. Or... Uh, it's by Alia Lealina. Yeah, and the way that they were kind of talking about the kind of uh, designing this this uh, this term that's been. Um, that's been that's been used. Um, what was it? It's like experience design or IX or yeah, UX, UX UX design, um, and that there's um, it actually the way that it operates. I think is really similar to like uh, like game theory. That there's like a particular you know design. You know, a company wants you to do a certain thing with a with a product. There's advertisement to try and get people to do something and the way that ux kind of works is to you know to provide a certain type of experience to promote people to make uh the right decision and that's mm -hmm. to sign up for a mailing list or to click this button or to do to do this or that so we have a kind of like uh does it uh, does it work or doesn't it work um and what the you know the this a bit of the the article where maybe somebody says that they'd rather instead of thinking about people as users or to call them instead of users to call them people is because that they recognize that um, to a certain degree what they're working on is um, designing things to um, to relate to people based off of like really uh, um, natural kind of relationship to how they kind of consume content or how they mm -hmm. would kind of feel towards towards something um so it is kind of like there's a, there's a certain amount of kind of trickery or something like that that might be going on um well i guess when you think about games there's a lot of um i suppose for some reason tony hawk's pro skater 2 comes to mind specifically oh man where I, you'd go to skate down that. a street and it just would be like there'd just be a barrier and you'd just like wipe out into yeah. it and that was <laughs> that was kind of it um but a lot of I find that a lot of using using interfaces, whether that's like iOS or a website mm -hmm. of some kind or, or whatever, is it's a, it's a lot to do with yeah, getting people to make the right decisions. It's also a lot to do with kind of hiding where the limits and the dead ends mm -hmm. are. Yeah, because to have. To do the right thing is not so hard, but to do it and not feel frustrated or constrained is like another thing. Right, yeah. So you sort of, 
I think user experience now has kind of reached this really um, interesting point where it's become sort of articulate enough to not only get you to kind of make the right actions, but to also feel like you you want that was what you that wanted was, to that do. Was, anyway. That was your choice so, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I definitely think that that's that's the case. Um, um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, I just keep thinking of Tony Hawk Pro Sticks. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the only game where I was allowed to play when yeah. I was a kid. So uh, it's my only. It's my you weren't allowed to play. You weren't allowed to play. I wasn't anything. even allowed to play computer games no. at all. Um, I only. I used to play this at my friend's house. It was the only multiplayer game he had. So it was the only one we had. We well, had Goldeneye too, but I was shit at that because I never played computer games. <laughs> And like Tony Hawk is like more button mashing, so it's kind of yeah, more yeah, appropriate yeah. for someone like me. It's a it's a good game. Um, was it? I can't remember if it was that one that I played or if I I just remember being really good at um, designing. Like you could you oh, could yeah, customize you could design the you parks. Could, you could or I was actually customizing the characters that you, you like. Yeah. So I would I would just spend so much time making uh the the avatars look like the people that i knew so i was like always have like a, a eerily kind of like uh realistic avatar of myself in tony hawk pro skater and it was just kind of like you spent way too much time at that one aspect of the game <laughs> and it's also just like weird when you've got a friend come over and they play it's just and they're like dude that's that's you in the game <laughs> yeah i guess that's kind of like the crypt of yeah yeah <laughs> or, or it makes me think again about um I, I think it was Xbox with the Kinect where they had that thing um, where you could you could scan yourself to be the avatar. Oh, wow. But I, I remember, I've actually not really messed around with the Kinect so much, but I remember sort of having a shot at it when when I think this was in its early stages. Yeah. And it still wasn't quite... So basically you <laughs> so got So you just your, get a really uncanny kind of like... Well, it uh, would... Essentially, I think it was like primitive biometrics. It would take a picture of your face, decide where your cheekbones, eyes, yeah. mouth, the corners of your yeah, nose yeah, were, yeah. and then just like stretch you over, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> over a generic... Over a polygon and... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was the most horrendous looking thing. Oh, that's great. Like, you know, people would end... People with small heads would end up with ears on the front of their face and like... <laughs> Or like people with <clears throat> with massive heads would end up with eyes on the side of the head. That's uh, that's that's lovely. That's brilliant. But the idea was that it would make you feel more at home. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. That's a uh, that's definitely it missing its mark. <laughs> the user interface of that just uh, yeah, to try and create a more homely experience. That's the. Uh, makes you just realize how unconventional you look <laughs> um i'm just trying to think if there was uh, where you i kind of like hit a, i hit the tony the the tony hawk roadblock with with what you had said about, i think and i can't remember what it what it was exactly uh something about people being coerced into believing that they've made the experience like yeah made the so i guess decision. the point i was making about tony yeah. hawks is that it's a bad example of user experience design yeah but oh because the, because of the illusion of like an open world and once you kind of poke into that then yeah you, then yeah you... the illusion or yeah creating the sense that you have limitless possibilities yeah. with whatever interface it is mm -hmm. and and that being now being like kind of a really strong part of user experience design where yeah you not only are kind of guided to make the right decisions that fit the um the system you're working in but you're also made to feel like it's it was your decision all along mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In, so you don't yeah it just kind of blurs the limits or the edges of yeah of that um tool you're using mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to think of like a good example of that within, I guess there's like certain, certain choices that like, you know, uh, email providers or things that you just like kind of take, kind of take for granted or something like that, you know, it's just like, oh, I've, maybe I hadn't thought about the experience of not having Facebook or not using Twitter or, or things like that because there's, you know, there was like a thing where Oh, it was so easy to 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 start using this this thing, um, and then you've just kind of like kept going with it. Um, 
it's it's actually quite funny the the kind of options that some of these platforms kind of give you um like for instance facebook i've kind of like i've completely kind of gutted out um my facebook account because i mean i still use it for for chat for chatting with people and for kind of like going to events or knowing what's kind of on but i've systematically kind of unfollowed every single friend of mine so mm -hmm. that i don't get i don't have that kind of feed relationship to things so i never see what any what anybody is up to anymore um which i think is like uh you know it's like one of those options that they've kind of given me the power to do that though i suspected they probably wouldn't be too happy about it or that they, you know, I'm opting to not participate in this entire aspect of of the what kind of seems to be their primary kind of uh, feature of of the application. It's like, no, I'll just do all the other kind of smaller things that you've got on the on the side here. That's more useful. That's more. That's more me. Um, yeah, I think there's always been that kind of curiosity, or I've always had that curiosity with like learning how something works and kind of like messing around. I mean, it's like that, the hacking. I mean, that's what, that's what the, that's at the heart of like hacking things or making things um, more customized to your own kind of needs. Um, and I suppose often involved in that is finding out that um, a lot of the times who, who, whatever you're customizing for your own need that is purportedly sort of free and free and open to you, they're not, particularly wild about you doing that yeah <laughs> at yeah. all yeah. like whether it's opening up a macbook and finding that they have custom made screw heads to stop you from replacing oh yeah, yeah like yeah. parts in it yeah. or whether it's trying to scrape google images and then having um like various algorithms that can recognize web spiders mm -hmm. or which is something i tried to do recently <laughs> um the news feed though you can use that as an image scraper because they don't they don't encrypt the way oh. the way um, the divs of science has Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, that's like <laughs> really technical and probably not that interesting for most people. But yeah, I think the more you kind of become curious about the things, the more you, the more walls you start to start yeah. to hit. And I, I suppose that's kind of where that kind of idea of a, a crypt of living Tom comes in, mm -hmm. where you're sort of you're sort of using these systems to conduct your life on and then and then you kind of realize how scripted yeah yeah that it's i mean i think it's really difficult because I, I think that you can you can uh, attribute um both like the the presence of life in in these circumstances or the presence of of not life or, or death within them is you know they both have their pros and, and cons with it and or like the way of kind of talking about you know, a particular interface of it being, you know, designed, it's a static thing that is uh, in, in some way a kind of um, a thing that you have the power of, of whether or not you get to you, your choice into, and whether or not you're going to engage with it or activate it. Um, but then there's also the kind of presence within it being designed uh, within this kind of social system um, to work on it, on you in a particular way. Um, um, but also that it, you know, it has the life of you being able to maybe hack it or make use of it, uh, however you will. Um, um, yeah, I think. I, I mean, I, I think with a lot of the stuff, I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to have too much judgment towards towards those types of uh, of of these types of things and whether or not they're kind of good or bad. But it's just like you see so much of these of things kind of trying to kind of fade into the facade of like the back background, the desktop. You know, the the thing kind of like not being it not being there or it kind of like a hidden kind of operation or tool. Mm. Um, Part of this experience of this guy wanting to opt to not use the word user and to kind of like use the word person instead. Instead, I just thought of like you know Google's parent company um, that they formulated a couple of years ago or whatever. Then they it's called Alphabet, and it's just like there's something there that's like unnerving. Where it's just like oh we've already like we've already come to the point of like you know it's the kind of default like google it it's like the well research it or look it up ask you know you're asking the kind of question where it's already you know entered that kind of level of usage we don't kind of question so much of of our interface with it but then like there's this other thing where it's like no it's trying to kind of like facilitate down even further into the kind of medium itself of like 
language. Mm-hmm. It's like it is the alphabet that we're <laughs> that we're using. The, the parent of of our questions is the alphabet. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that like when you start to kind of get rid of the certain roles, like the idea of like I'm a user within this experience, uh, you start uh, you start to you know you know if you start if you're thinking about like people design or something like that it's just like no you just like losing the another thing which kind of calls attention to like your own kind of position or your own choice within that experience it's like i'm i've chosen to be a user of this rather mm-hmm. than like uh, i think you know choosing to be a person within that experience is harder to to question or something it's uh I suppose, yeah, I, yeah, that's interesting. I suppose choosing, yeah, if you're to choose to be a person within something that's so, uh, all pervasive, it's sort of like you're offered the choice between being like alive or not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's easier to extinguish an, an identity if it's attached to an idea of something uh, of, of like a, your own usership with something, but if something is attached to your person, it's harder to extinguish. That, I, that identity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah i suppose it's, it's easier to just say i'm just not going to use that anymore right as opposed yeah. to say I'm oh just i'm just not, not going, going to be, be a person yeah. on this in yeah. this context yeah although that is probably a pretty good idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's really interesting i guess i mean this whole thing is such a slippery i think it's i think it's really easy to be like facebook's bad and blah 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 and and I think also it's not really necessary to particularly debate that. I think yeah. at this stage everybody kind of knows that Facebook's pr- and things like that yeah. are probably not ideal. Yeah, <laughs> it's it is really strange. I mean, the internet as a thing is a is a is a crazy place. I you know I'm I feel like I I kind of skim on the surface because I just don't get too deep into it, into it. But you know, you just like all these people being really opinionated. Um, <laughs> that's a just a I think that's text like a dictionary definition of the internet just a lot of people being opinionated uh, no but like you know it's just like it's it's so easy for people to hide their own kind of uh, their own motivations and things or you know people you know being trolls or you know people speaking out against uh, social justice warriors and things you just you, I just it's it's really a hard thing to kind of like come to terms with like a certain kind of reality um that I just that I for the most part I, I don't experience mm. um and seeing and seeing how it kind of plays out um online or what uh, you know the image of of the world and how it exists through the internet is really is really different um I had this experience actually with you know thinking about like user design or thinking about um of like trying to anticipate like you know thing uh how am i going to design this exhibition for a particular user for a particular spectator or something like that you know um there is like there is an assumption within you know like user experience design that they can achieve x by doing what whatever um and that it assumes a certain kind of trajectory or certain kind of hierarchy between things um and you know, I think within the within the arts that like we for a while now we kind of uh, know that that's not the case. That things don't kind of work in that kind of linear fashion. That I can't like you know that uh, language doesn't really work like that, or mm-hmm. like communication doesn't really work like that. Um, and like uh, yeah, I was I was like you know thinking about user experience, and I had and you know this kind of. Uh, different types of users i you know i had um this uh i had my exhibition and you know made it for people to come and see and i had to invigilate the the entire time for the for the exhibition so i got to meet a lot of the people that came to see the show and ask them what they thought of it and whatnot um and i had this one particular uh user or a visitor um and and they they spent like uh, a great uh, quite a long period of time with with the work. I mean, I guess the video is 17 minutes long, so anytime someone spent more than 17 minutes with the work, I was kind of like, mm, they must really like it." <laughs> um, um, but they spent quite a bit of time and then they they came out and asked me if I was the artist afterwards, and I you know I said yes, and they're very friendly, and then they kind of left. 
Um, and I just you know, thought, oh, that, that was very nice of them to spend so much time with the work. And uh, maybe an, an hour later, I got a, a ding on my phone and it was uh, an somebody started following me on Instagram and I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then I got another ding kind of later and it was this, the same person that started following me. I was like, who is this? And it was the same person that had come to the exhibition. And I said, oh, you know, they, you know, they are a fan. They must really like it. Um, and I, uh, and I wanted to see if it was like, maybe like I had someone come through, um, they said they wanted to do a bit of like a, to write something. Um, about the exhibition and had a, a nice chat with them. Um, but I was like, oh, who is this person? Like, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of like saying, oh, is there, is there more social utility in this? <laughs> uh, and I looked in, on, their, on their Instagram kind of profile and sure enough, they took loads of pictures of the exhibition. And, but it, but uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't as if it was like documentation. It was like them taking selfies of themselves in, in the kind of exhibition space. So it was like them in front of the video, them laying on the floor. And there's like, like 10 or 12 images of them just kind of like laying on the floor in the kind of exhibition space. And it was like, oh, so that 17 plus minutes. It was like, just you getting the right composition. Yeah, yeah. It was them trying to really formulate uh, the use of the space for their own, their own kind of needs. And it was just kind of like, I, I mean, uh, uh, immediately I just was like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of glad that nobody else was in the space or nobody else came in when, when they were doing it because they would have had the, maybe a bit of a, different experience I guess um but it's yeah it was like totally that kind of like um they were definitely making use of that space how they saw fit and you know maybe within that moment saw themselves as more of like you know an Instagram user or then then like you know someone who's, art user. yeah 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 or a, a visitor of this kind of space but um good for them you know <laughs> hacking hacking the exhibition to their own needs um I thought but definitely an unanticipated or unpredictable kind of uh, audience member. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that speaks to like a wider thing about if we're talking about all these kind of um, utilities that are kind of, for the most part, free to access or free to use mm -hmm. or um, are open to people to engage with is once you do that, you kind of you invite in so much noise mm -hmm. and and more often than not, people will find a way to misuse whatever you offer them as opposed to use it the way you intended, which I think is sort of where user experience design and, and that whole kind of um, field becomes kind of interesting yeah, because they're sort of, fighting an impossible <laughs> an impossible fight where like the joy of playing computer games is trying to figure out how to do the wrong thing and the joy of like yeah. doing anything is just like playing with it and usually breaking it yeah <laughs> yeah there's like certain conventions or rules that if you're not doing it the within the kind of current meta then you're like oh well you will that's that's wrong you're playing it wrong your fun is wrong that's <laughs> You know, it's not, it's, that's not the right way of doing it. Um, but I suppose, I don't know, I wonder if, is that maybe a way of like reaffirming the fact that you aren't in fact undead? Um, yeah, as a user, I mean, I think that like, you know, in, I think a lot of, maybe we talked about, was this idea of like objects be having this kind of state of, of being alive and alive and dead. Um, but that I think like referring back to the idea that, you know, the author can't really it's not within their power to to activate the, you know, their own cloaking mechanism. Um, it is actually within the kind of like perspective. It's within the with the person themselves um, being the one to be able to 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 call attention or, or bring awareness to the presence of of the author and whatnot. Um, and that within that, there are, yeah, there's definitely certain types of spectatorship that, you know, that, um, you know, you hear people talk or, you know, there's this, this idea of like escapism or losing oneself within a particular kind of medium or, or a particular, you know, film or book or escapism. You know, D&D, for example, is a, is a thing that oftentimes is associated with people trying to, or games in general, mm -hmm. people trying to escape a certain type of, of uh, 
presence within within reality but um which um some people might say was like you know they're less alive or they're less present or something but um yeah i think that there is like there's definitely ways of of drawing kind of like one where is one's kind of attention or where is one's presence are you present within your thoughts or are you present within your environment um how do you kind of uh, align yourself within your relationship to this thing or, or another? Um, I think it's, you know, you can't be, I think it's difficult to kind of like be in, you know, more than one place at a time. But like, you know, you can kind of be with your thoughts or you can kind of be within an experience of something. You can kind of, you know, watch the video or you can kind of like listen to your thoughts about the, the thing. <laughs> I think it's I think it's you know quite difficult to kind of do both at the same time. Um, so to a certain extent, extent you're kind of like dead to certain to certain aspects of things or certain experiences, um, but more alive to, to to kind of others maybe. Um, and in that kind of sense, there is like that kind of state of being kind of like undead. The array of riddles continue. The sound of each verse become layered. Each rhyme and pun ricochet endlessly into every inch of the space. The mass of sound collide into their bodies, the echoing form enveloping them. Cooper recoils, beginning to back away, as Ariel stares out into the stillness of the cave. The surrounding books and pamphlets begin to move. Ariel notices the hair on her arms and neck stand on end. Slowly, her upper lip begins to curl back and a toothy grin forms on her face. Her body starts convulsing, muscle and bone, acting by their own volition. Cooper, at the sight of his companion, drops the torch. He stumbles backwards, catching himself before kicking up parchment as he runs away. He covers his ears as the echoing sound pursues. In the low, nearly extinguished torchlight, Ariel's eyes catch a glint off the broken lockpick still on the ground. Coming down to the earth, Ariel notices its end is angled into a perfect-looking seraph. At this, she begins to chuckle. Covered in bits of parchment and a thick paste of paper mache, Cooper emerges crawling from the cave. Scurrying to his feet, he calls back over his shoulder for Ariel, but his voice is muted. A shared, harmonious laughter begins to resonate outward from the cave as Cooper runs blindly out towards the unrendered horizon.